Hello, crime lovers, and welcome to Crime on Tap. I'm Megan, joined by my co-host, Sean. And welcome to our true crime podcast. Join us weekly as we drink our favorite cocktails and discuss gruesome murders, kidnappings, conspiracies, and more. Share the podcast with your friends, family, and heck, your grandma. Leave a review and make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Crime on Tap Pod. Tune in for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're driving to work or doing laundry, Crime on Tap will be sure to fulfill your true crime fix each week. And now, buckle up for this week's episode. Listen and enjoy. Oh my god, Megan, we are back again. Oh my god, I don't know what to do. It seems like every time we do this, there's always some new technical challenge we have to deal with. (laughs) And we end up starting 20 minutes later. (laughs) Yes. Like we were supposed to start at 10.30, you know, it's 10.42. (laughs) 10.42 to be exact on the dot, it's very important. Yes. But welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Crime on Tap with your host, Sean, and my co host Megan <laughs> we are back with a local crime which actually only took place about five minutes from where I'm living right now <laughs> but you will be moving soon to the big city <gasps> I'm now a city boy <laughs> I don't know what, what do city people do city people have brunch on Sundays <laughs> mm-hmm. with mimosas yes but I'm actually going to be living in the city with a deck overlooking the Boston Harbor. I'm pretty excited about it. (laughs) Or as the person said when they told you, the Boston Harbor. (laughs) I don't know if that's exactly what they said. (laughs) Yes, the old tenants are very sad to be leaving. So I honestly don't care about their pain, but I'm happy to be living. (laughs) Thanks to COVID, it's cheap, Mm -hmm. cheap, cheap. So those people who've always dreamed of living in the city, now's the time. Exactly. Everybody's moving out. So if you want to move in, any new updates with you, Megan? Well, my old geriatric super senior baby girl kitty (laughs) is having some health issues. She's got some rotten teeth that need to be pulled bad or it's going to kill her. So yeah, so we're deciding whether we're going to do that. I know. Okay. (laughs) So I'm glad everyone's having a great day. I ruined it for you. My cat's teeth are rotting and going to kill her. So how's everyone Mm -hmm. doing? We have some lidocaine spray. We can honestly just spray some lidocaine on that tooth you probably pull it for her so then i don't have to pay for <laughs> the thousands of dollars it'll take to take them out and you know what it's probably such a simple procedure and they're just gonna milk that fucking money out of you and it's so sad that they do it i know well because they're preying on my mama cat instinct of you know want to do anything for her yeah and like by the way it's a gazillion dollars <laughs> But she's an old girl, so there's a risk. So a lot of thinking. You know, it's expensive, but for my baby, I'll do it. That's the thing. These animals become our children. And then here we are spending thousands of dollars on them because we love them so much. I know my boyfriend and I were talking about how our generation, we treat our animals like our children. So it's just a matter of time before we get standard pet insurance. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I was always like, I will never get pet insurance. That's a waste of money. Harley will never see me drop a thousand dollars on him. But now I'm thinking about 
about it. And I'm like, I would totally do it for him. I know. I know. <laughs> Our friend, how much did she drop on her dog, Columbia? Oh my God. Yes. She's taking the vet there every dang day. They tell you, okay, but you got to buy this food now. And this food is going to cost you a fucking $50 a week for one bag. Mm. Oh yeah. That's know? how they got me too. Yep. They had her switch her food too. So yeah. Everyone beware. <laughs> if you get an animal, it's not just one time payment. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. It's going to cost you a lot in the long run. Mm-hmm. Just like kids. Probably not as much as kids, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause your cat's not going to kitty college anytime soon. No. <laughs> <laughs> so because of my predicament, I'm emotionally drinking today. <laughs> so it is in the morning. So it's my <laughs> special coffee and Kirkland knockoff Bailey's today. And yep. it'll help me your get classic. through this day. My classic. Yep. I feel like we got to come up with some um, new cocktails. I know. I got my first vaccine. So I'm on my way to be fully vaccinated. But then once we both are fully vaccinated, then we could totally do some in-person podcasting. Because does anybody even know? But we do this every week on Zoom. We mm-hmm. use two different platforms to record our audio. We FaceTime on our phones. We've been doing this remotely the entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if we've tricked you guys that well, I mean, I guess we're doing a good job then. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, I have my first dose, the sixth. Cool. Okay. So like we're on our way. Mm-hmm. I'm a Pfizer girl. I'm going to be a Pfizer girl. Mm-hmm. We're a Pfizer family. We're we're the Pfizer family. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those videos of people being like, Pfizer is like for the elites and like Moderna's for the poor? <laughs> no. Oh my God. That makes no sense. I just signed up for whatever was available. I didn't... <laughs> Oh my God, you could pick? Well, it's like, you know, some places have Moderna, some places have Pfizer. I just picked the soonest one and it was Pfizer, so. Oh, see my place, like you get there, then they're like, okay, we have this one today. So this is what you're getting. Oh, oh, interesting. Well, yeah, we do live in different states, so they probably yeah. do it differently. I had to like <laughs> sign up, get a, a state profile and everything. It was this whole yep. involving. <laughs> cause yeah, cause Pfizer's for the rich, for the elites and like Moderna is for like the poor folk. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. They're I'm like, gonna you Moderna. <laughs> I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna have like a mink coat and like a Virginia <laughs> Slim and be like, I'm ready for the Pfizer. <laughs> Just put the like a letter P on your shirt and be like, I have the silent P. <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, since it's 10 a.m., this yes. is the best time for us to film. So once we are both vaccinated, hopefully we can do this later in the day on a Friday and we can get hammered and record in person together. But mm-hmm. until then, 10 a.m., here we are. I'm also drinking a nice coffee. My classic Starbucks with my Dunkin' Donuts creamer with a little hazelnut flavoring. That liquid shit, Torino, I think that's what it's called. You can get it at like the grocery store oh. with a little hazelnut flavoring. Perfect. I have to say with coffee, the liquid sugar is the best because it disperses more evenly. Yes. So I'm a big advocate for liquid sugar and coffee. Mm-hmm. I use Stevia, by the way, name drop. <laughs> As you said, Starbucks, I just got a notification from my Starbucks app. So we are definitely being listened to. <laughs> just want to say. Fuck Do you drink hot coffee or iced coffee? When I like go out and get a coffee, it's usually iced coffee. But at home, I just drink hot coffee. Okay. I'm more of an iced coffee bitch. No matter the temperature, what it is mm-hmm. outside, I need my iced coffee. It could be a blizzard and you're like, iced coffee, please. Yep. So Megan, without further ado, let's mm-hmm. get right into the episode. Mm-hmm. 
So this week, you guys, we are talking about a very, very local case to my current location. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of the most high profile cases in the early 90s. This was this took place before the OJ Simpson case. It took place before the John and Lorena Bobbitt cases. It took place before the Menendez brothers. It was one of the most highly televised court proceedings in American history before all these big names even happened. We are talking about the Pamela Smart and Greg Smart murder trials. <laughs> Is that what it's called? <laughs> I don't even know. We can call it that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and it is a wild ride, I have to say. So mm-hmm. there is some, I mean, in my opinion, there's some pedophilia involved. So I would trigger warning right now for that stuff. It's pretty yep. intense. And of course, murder, but murder is fine. Everyone likes murder. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this was one of the cases that like started the media frenzy and the public and the nation being involved, fascination of court proceedings. There was nothing like this before. Pamela smart so we start off and why this is so fascinating is because it all began in little old new hampshire little old family friendly where everybody's so nice and kind little new england state mm-hmm. new hampshire is where all this began um, or so, upside down vermont as i like to say <laughs> yes live for your die <laughs> Let's get a little bit into the beginning of Pamela Smart. Pamela, like we said, she grew up in Wyndham, New Hampshire, which is a well-to-do town here in New Hampshire. She grew up here with her parents, which they eventually moved to Miami, Florida, where she was raised and went to school. And then the family moved back to Derry, New Hampshire, which is like a mid-sized town. It's nothing big. You know, they got their shopping stores, their plazas. There's no mall or anything. Just like you commute through the town to get your groceries and stuff, and then you leave. And then from Derry, New Hampshire, Pamela Smart. She went to college, so she went back to Florida to study communications at FSU where she literally worked her ass off. She was working 52 hours a week and she graduated a year early and then she ultimately moved back to New Hampshire with her husband, Greg. She met Greg when she was at home during Christmas break in New Hampshire and this is commitment. Greg moved to Florida to be with her for her last year. Yes. He was like, I ain't doing that long distance shit. I'm just gonna follow you. Yeah. So then they got married two years later in 1989 mm-hmm. and you can definitely tell this case is like late 80s early 90s like it takes place <laughs> in 1990 because the hair <laughs> was his, huge is huge and hysterical <laughs> <laughs> there was so much teasing and hairspray oh god yeah mullet those nasty porn stashes which i think are coming back i see a lot of young boys nowadays <laughs> yes like i'm like shave that dirt stash <laughs> I think half of the people involved in in this case had a mullet. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I was looking at the pictures. It's pretty gnarly. Yes. So we see Greg and Pamela. They've moved back to New Hampshire. After being together for two years, they eventually got married and settled down in Derry, New Hampshire, where Pam's family was living as well. Both of them had a shared interest in rock music. (laughs) Pam was actually a huge, huge Van Halen fan, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, back in that time, they were huge back then. And that was the era of rock music. Pam also had a fascination with radio hosting. She enjoyed hosting shows in college. She had two different radio shows going but she loved like the media side of things which back in that time that was just like the start of the boom of media tv and anything like technology that was advancing at that time do you think today she would be an instagram influencer i think she would probably be a radio host i'm pretty pro pam you're pro pam oh my gosh you you and um 
Dr. Eleanor Pam, who we'll get to. Dr. <laughs> Eleanor is quite the prized piece here. <laughs> yeah, Pam, she was such a huge Van Halen fan. She loved Van Halen. She loved Motley Crue. Her moniker was the Maiden of Metal. That she named their she named their dog Halen. <laughs> Which is a stupid fucking name, but okay. Why not Van? Oh yeah, why not Van? I feel like that's better. Yes. So they weren't married long before shit started to hit the fan, which, you know, it was such a fairy tale romance. I wonder if it was all just so unique and amazing and wonderful that when it wore off and yep. they were together together, it was like, oh. Mm-hmm. And so they began having marital issues. He admitted that he had an affair. He had said that she was very immature and kind of berated her and belittled her and made her feel small mm-hmm. and she was very upset and she didn't leave him but she wasn't happy anymore yeah they were working as greg was an insurance agent and before pam met greg he had this long like beautiful hair he was crazy he loved to go out and do things and he loved like the rocker lifestyle like that kind of look and then once he became an insurance agent he got a haircut he buzzed his hair and he was just like a boring insurance agent and like real life was setting in Mm-hmm. And there, that might have been like the start of the issues. I mean, marriage was just starting. Like they're out of their kid stage. Pam was also working as a media coordinator for multiple schools in the area where she helped with like teaching kids about filming and editing and like audio and visuals and screenplays and things like that. So she was always involved with different students, volunteering with the different programs. So she was out and about and a lot. And I think that's also one of the other reasons why they had a fallout in their marriage was because they both were working so much. Mm-hmm. And one of the notable things that she was involved in was Project Self-Esteem, which was a local like drug awareness and for at-risk youth program at the high school where she worked at. Yeah. So she met a lot of kids through that. And they were a tight-knit group because a lot of them you know, were at risk. They had hard home lives and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she was really like a mentor to them. Kind of became, kind of crossed the line and became their friend yes. rather than like their mentor and advisor. So yeah, it came to a point where they were like hanging out she was hanging out with the students after school movies like doing things with them it's just like odd <laughs> yeah like they would go over to her house and have lunch or yeah. like you know have a go meeting shopping. yeah kind of see where greg is coming from when he called her immature if like her companions of choice are young teens from 15 to 17 yeah and mind you guys she was she was 21 or 22 at the time and she was befriending like 15 16 year olds <laughs> At my age, I can't even imagine being friends with an 18-year-old. That seems like <laughs> so, like, different life phases, Yeah, you know? Okay, so that's kind of, like, a good backstory to Pam and Greg. They had their honeymoon phase, they were in love, and then they started having problems after a couple years, and then we get into the murder. So basically, what happens is that Pam, she comes home from long days of work, and she opens her front door, and there is Greg laying on the entryway way floor with a bullet through his head dead on the floor she was an emotional mess she was screaming and crying she really played that role well i mean when you compare it to somebody like casey anthony um <laughs> yeah pamela smart was doing a great job at the waterworks <laughs> mm-hmm. and the crime scene looked like a burglary it looked like someone just ransacked the place stole a bunch of stuff there was speakers missing the dog was safe in the basement and it just looked like someone came by stole a bunch of shit greg came home at the run 
wrong, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, got shot, and that was it. Mm-hmm. The police were kind of like, oh, this is how it is and everything. But, you know, people have big mouths, people are talking, people are <laughs> bragging. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind was- of how things, or, and also people feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how this gets unraveled and is more than a burglary. Yeah. Rumors start flying, people start talking, and the truth comes out. <laughs> but for six weeks, the police are just investigating it, you know, which I don't think they were doing a good job because... <laughs> They never say that there was any fingerprints. Was there any footprints? Somebody clearly came through here and shot up Greg. There had to be some kind of evidence left behind. So for six weeks, the police are just investigating it. They are trying to figure out any leads. Greg's body is already put in the ground. They've already had the funeral. Everything's already done. And Pam is back to work. She's working. She's in the shot, of course, but she's back to work until we start getting some tips about mm-hmm. what's really going on here. Six weeks pass by from when... Greg was found, and we see a man by the name of Vance Latimy Sr. bringing a revolver to the Seabrook, New Hampshire police station. Mind you, this police station is five minutes from me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Which is just crazy, and it's about 30 to 40 minutes from where the actual crime took place. And we see Vance Sr. bringing this revolver into the police station and telling police that one of his son's friends, which the friend's name is Ralph Welch, had told him that this gun might have been used in the murder of Greg Smart. Like, how crazy is that? I, can you imagine being that father? I I feel like I would have done the same thing. I would have taken it to the police, and mm-hmm. because I don't want myself to be linked yes. to it. So I'd be like, oh, it was this kid. It wasn't, like, like I had nothing to do with this. This gun was taken. was it wasn't me. And probably I mean, he was trying to protect his kid, too. Yeah, he thought he was probably protecting him, but we'll soon learn that that was not the case. Yep. <laughs> so then then Ralph Welch, the friend of Vance Sr.'s son, is brought into questioning from police. And Ralph Welch comes in and he basically tells police everything. He has an expose on everyone involved. He gives these names. And he also brings up Pamela Smart. So let's first start with all the boys that Ralph Welch mentions in his interview. The first boy's name is Billy Flynn, which Ralph says that Billy was the one who actually shot Greg. And he was also having an affair with Pam. Mind you, Billy Flynn is 15 years old and Pamela Smart is 22. (laughs) And works at the school. Mm -hmm. Works at the school is in the same program that Pamela Smart was mentoring. They were both working on Project Self-Esteem. Billy and Pamela were having an affair. We next hear about Patrick Randall, who was also involved. He was one of Billy Flynn's friends. He was involved by holding Greg's head so Billy could shoot him. That was his role in the murder. Next, we see Vance Latimy Jr., his father father was the one with the gun that brought it into the police station. He was the getaway driver. He did not go in the home. He did not ransack the place. He was strictly the getaway driver. And then next, the final name that Ralph Welch exposes is Raymond Fowler. He was literally irrelevant in the investigation. (laughs) He just sat in the car of the crime. He just sat in the getaway car. Uh, He was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he simply thought that they were, all the other boys were going there to burglarize the home and not kill Greg Smart. He's like, all right, I'll be with you guys for a burglary but i draw the line at murder (laughs) yeah 
So then we also see that Ralph Welch mentions that the boys told him that there was going to be some cash incentive involved for all of them to commit this murder. So he tells police that Pam Smart had promised the boys each $500 if they could kill Greg. Basically that she would be getting a lot of insurance money in order to be giving them $500. <laughs> I think back to 1990 and I'm like, $500? This is all it would take for somebody to kill somebody? I know. Well, and to a teenager, I feel like $500 is probably $100,000. That's true too, yeah. They're immature. They, I feel like they didn't understand the implications of this. And also, rumor had it that Pamela Smart threatened to stop having sex with Billy if he didn't do this. Yep. So a 15-year-old who's getting poo-tang... <laughs> You know, who at that age they don't think with their penis, they don't think with their heads. He's probably like, Oh shit, I gotta do this. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was money involved. She was gonna pay them five hundred dollars each to kill her husband so she could live her life with fifteen year old Billy Flynn. Yeah, like <laughs> that did she really think that she was gonna get away with this is my thing. Like she recruited infants to kill her husband <laughs> and thought that everything was just gonna turn out well. Yep. But Pamela, she she says that she was truly in love with Billy Flynn. And it was a predicament because she was also in love with her husband. But clearly her and her husband, Greg, were having issues. She mentions that he was abusing her, physically abusing her. So she saw a better life with Billy Flynn, a 15 year old. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The thing that drives me crazy is that she describes it like Billy is a a fellow adult. Like she's just having an affair with a coworker. No, like you're a pedophile. (laughs) You're having sex with a child. I met Bill, who was kind of making me feel like I was the greatest thing on the earth. He was charming. He was, and I guess at that point I was so low that I needed that boost. You were vulnerable. Yeah, I was. Yes. Intellectually. <laughs> yes. She mentions that it was just like a short relationship. It was nothing crazy, no biggie. Like, let's just move on. We can't just move on, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> like, God damn it, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> so all this time prior... We're seeing Pam acting in a way that's like, oh my god, I'm a widow. Like, oh my god, who killed my husband? I have no idea. This is crazy. And the family's in distraught. The family's trying to console Pam because they're like, you lost your husband. You must be going through a lot. And all the while, here we are with Mr. Ralph Welch, who's just got a tip from the boys saying that she had a big play in this murder. Mm -hmm. They also, another part that really solidifies the case is Queen Cecilia Pierce. Yes. We both are like, who's going to talk about Cecilia? We love Cecilia. (laughs) She's a fellow teenager. (laughs) <laughs> who was part of Project Self-Esteem and she wanted to be a news reporter. That was like her thing. So she was like interning with Pam, worked really closely with her to help her prepare for going to college and getting a career. She said that she would go over and have lunch with Pam and they'd have fajitas. They'd go sledding like they were gal pals. <laughs> so Cecilia, when she heard about the burglary, she was like, oh, that's terrible. But then the more she thought about it, she was like, you know, Pam has said, I hate my husband. I hope he dies. Like, and so she starts to get worried. So she goes to the police. She was also like in the friends group with Billy too. And she knew actually about the Pam and Billy affair because they're all having a movie night. And then Pam and Billy were like BRB. And she's like, what's going on? And so she goes and checks on them and she walks in on them having sex. Yeah. I'm thinking that must have been so traumatizing for her. Yeah. To walk in on that. Like, what do you do after? Do you just go downstairs and sit on the couch and continue watching the movie? I know. I, I wouldn't know what to do. 
(laughs) (laughs) Cecilia comes forward and the police ask her to wear a wiretap when Mm -hmm. she's with Pam. And Pam has no idea, so she's very kind of loose-lipped and this is what seals her fate. But another student from that very same high school is about to betray Pam with a secret recording. And also Pam claims that during these tapes, she was on Prozac because of everything that happened. So she was very hyper and that's why she like sounded manic and worried and like all yep. this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. And she also mentions that there was a lot of people talking to her, a lot of people telling her who to trust, not to trust. Her lawyer told her a day before Cecilia came to talk to Pam to not trust Cecilia because she might be wearing a wiretap. And then so Pam, of course, reached out to Cecilia <laughs> to talk to her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> Cecilia and Pam have their little meeting, their little gal pal sesh, and Cecilia comes in wearing her wire. Here we are. Cecilia's trying to set her up to incriminate her, get her to say that she knew about the murder, she knew what she was doing, she was manipulating these boys into killing her husband. So Cecilia brings up that she's being questioned by police, and Pamela goes on to say that, I'm just telling you, you know, if you tell the truth, you're going to be an accessory to murder. She basically tells her also that if she tells anything to police you're going to be on the witness stand and she'll also be incriminated and she tells Cecilia that if they ever ask if Pam did it you say no she didn't <laughs> yeah so that's pretty clear that she's manipulating this girl and fear-mongering her mm-hmm. so that Pamela's secret stays safe yep. and she also says that Cecilia did this just because she was jealous because she had a crush on Billy and I was with Billy and it's like <laughs> how old are you like yeah Cecilia had a crush on Billy because they're the same age. <laughs> yes. And you're an adult. It's like <laughs> you just cannot get that through her skull. It's crazy. Yep. <laughs> Because of what Pam basically exposed about herself in this wiretapping incident, it gave police the go-ahead to incriminate her and to place her under arrest for the murder of her husband. So Queen Cecilia. Yeah, she she was the one that cracked the case. She really did. Yeah, she gave police... I mean, yeah, because the boys, they weren't helping at all. It, yeah, at that point, it was just hearsay. But, you know, mm-hmm. recordings of her manipulating Cecilia and being all worried and, and everything gave them more. And there's also arguments of the tape should have been admissible because they were really hard to hear. And I'm like, well, it's because it's 1990. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that was I great like quality back in the day. They were able to make out enough where it was damning. They didn't need every portion of the tape. They got the portions that they needed to really get her. And yeah. Pam said that she approached Cecilia because she wanted to know if Cecilia knew if Billy did it or not. That was she was worried about Billy's safety and what Billy had done. Yeah. You know, not that she called her so that. She she would try to get her not to talk about what she knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pam still was claiming that she doesn't know what happened and she doesn't want to believe that Billy actually did kill her husband because she never saw that side of Billy and she never thought that Billy could have done such a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's 15. He'll do whatever you say if you wave a pair of tits in his face. <laughs> So on August 1st, 1990, Detective Daniel Peltier, he approaches her in the school parking lot after school and she recognized him and she was like, what's going on? And this is such a funny quote. He's like, well, Pam, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news (laughs) is, is that we solved the murder of your husband. The bad news is, is you're under arrest. (laughs) 
Like, that's such a movie line. I know. He was so prepared for that. This is, like, his first big case in Little Town, New Hampshire. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I, I got I got this prepared, guys. I want to do it. <laughs> he was ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we are in trial since we know the boys who committed the murder. We know Pam was sort of the motive behind the murder. So now we're in trial. Basically, it's going to be Pam against everybody else. <laughs> the boys have turned their back on Pam. They are fighting solo, fighting for themselves, and they said, okay, bye Pam, we're gonna try to help ourselves out here. It's <laughs> We don't care about you anymore, basically. I feel like they came to the realization that they were manipulated, yep. and kind of scornful of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the beginning, the boys weren't really talking. They weren't really saying anything, and then the prosecution comes to them, and they say, hey, if you work with us and turn against Pam, we'll give you a lessening on your sentence. So, it could have been a life sentence, and we're gonna only give you 40 years as a kid you're like uh like i'm being tried as an adult and Mm -hmm. here i am potentially getting a life in prison i can get the option of getting 40 years in prison uh yeah i'm gonna say fuck you pam and let's get that 40 years baby (laughs) yeah well that's the thing it's like she forgets that she's working with teenagers they they're selfish they're hormonal they're unpredictable they're impulsive like why did she think that all these kids would go to bat for her when their backs are up against the wall yeah exactly maybe she thought that billy was really 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 in love with her <laughs> yeah she thought her pussy to bomb and that <laughs> it, it would it would be enough <laughs> well i guess it was because he did kill greg <laughs> yeah okay so we get into the trial and basically the boys admit to everything they plead guilty to everything billy admits to killing greg you know he's under the prosecution's control he says that it was because that pam manipulated him into doing it mentions that pam brought up the plan to kill her husband almost every single day mentions that Pam said that she hated her husband and that Pam would only ever be with Billy if Greg was killed. She was not getting a divorce so you had to kill Greg in order for him to ever be with Pam. And the reason why she didn't want to get a divorce is the same old reason we hear from all those snapped women (laughs) is that they want it all. They don't want to share when it comes to the divorce. They want it all. They want that insurance money. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Insurance money and getting the house. (laughs) So at the time of the trial Billy was 16 so just to mention that he was 16 years old on the stand for the murder he did commit so then we also see Patrick Randall and Vance they were like hey like we were just in this for the money like we didn't really care we weren't in a relationship with Pam that was all Billy's thing we were just here for the money kind of thing they were pleading guilty and blamed it on the manipulation that Pam had over Billy he got involved with it and they were just kind of there and shit just went down the prosecution really painted Pamela out as this dangerous black widow manipulative ice queen and they painted Billy as the innocent virgin that was caught up in something and was manipulated and everything and that's how they played on the jury's emotions Mm -hmm. based on that and how like you'd said before she was always going on about the plan and her alibi was going to be being at work while the boys killed her husband so that she would be implicated. She even left the doors unlocked for them to come in so like I mean I feel like that's a huge huge piece that makes it very clear and she said take whatever you want make it look like a robbery and don't hurt Halen don't hurt (laughs) Halen 
Yeah, so that was basically the plan. And Pam was in on it. She knew what was going down. And she knew that if they did it while she was at work, then she would have an alibi. She can say, oh, I was not even there. So there's no way it could be me. Look, at there's video footage of me at work. So it wasn't just me. Just like Martha Ann McClancy. Yes. She did the same thing. Exactly. The same exact thing. So also at this time, something also very important to mention. Oh my God, Starbucks just messaged me. Jesus. <laughs> I just got a notification. So also at this time, it's important to note that the jury was not sequestered. They were allowed to go home, watch all the media, all the magazine reports. They were allowed to go home and see all this play out. And a lot of what people say today who's on Pam's side, it's like that was not fair. They were allowed to go home, be influenced by the media, by their family, by their friends for a decision on a case that is this high profile. You know, it just doesn't seem the most fair. <laughs> and and that's why they do that nowadays is be with these big cases. Yeah. A lot of false facts were taken by the media and they were blown out of proportion so that those facts became to a lot more other people truths in their mind. And I think about how th- how they started to sequester the jury on Big Brother because then yes. they got to watch it on TV and watch all the inner workings and find out what happened when they were there. Like now they're sequestered yep. so that they can make the decision based on the knowledge that they have, not the inside knowledge. So yep. Daniel Reyes was robbed of her Big Brother win. Mm-hmm. It was because... and, and ever since then, the jury is sequestered. Exactly. So thank you Daniel Reyes. <laughs> <laughs> Queen. Queen. And then we move on to the defense which basically they were just like Pam told Billy that she was going to be ending things with him and Billy was just a deranged little juvenile child he was 15 years old he got upset and he thought that if he could eliminate and extinguish Greg then he could have Pam all to himself so that was basically the defense's side was that Billy was just a crazy teen wanting love with Pamela Mm -hmm. it's not like (laughs) Pamela did anything to fan that fire you know it's not like she was having sex with a child or anything Yeah, nothing. That's crazy. I like how they just (laughs) gloss over that. So then we get into the sentencing. Oh, yes. So it only took 12 hours for them to decide. And Pam was found guilty on March 22nd of 1991 of accomplice to first degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and witness tampering. And the witness tampering is of those tapes of her talking to Cecilia, trying to convince her not to tell the truth. So Queen Cecilia. Queen Cecilia. (laughs) She was not tampered with. She did what she had to do. And I just find it interesting that they didn't just go for statutory rape as well. Yeah. Like, what happened to that? And I'm thinking it's because there's this double standard of when teenage boys are involved with older women that they're lucky, it's cool, they're the man. Mm -hmm. Well, they're victims too. Yeah. And so I think that's partly why they, because not to be like, we live in a society, but we live (laughs) in a society (laughs) where male survivors of statutory rape and especially like teacher older women situations like this, they're just not taken seriously because they're lucky or whatever and yeah and i feel like hopefully that narrative has shifted a little bit but back in 1992 billy was the man he got this older woman <laughs> there's and... actually a movie just like that what's it uh bad teacher with oh, no no not bad teacher bad teacher is a good movie oh with karen diaz <laughs> yes that one when i thought it's when she has oh, oh no. no oh you are that's right. my boy oh wait is it oh, bad teacher no well bad teacher there is a scene where she like helps a kid be popular by giving giving 
him her bra, but oh, okay, it's, it's like supposed to be another girl's bra, not her bra. Okay, but I, I think what, that's my boy. Yeah, because the yes. Andy Samberg is playing the son made of when he was with a teacher, right? Yes, and they hook up in like the back room or something, and then he gets her pregnant, mm-hmm. and everyone's like cheering him on, like, "Oh my god, you got with the teacher!" Like, look at you. And, and that's a comedy movie, and not a drama movie. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's still being showcased in today's society. You know, mm-hmm. like so kids say- see that and they're like, "Oh my god." I want to get with my teacher now. I say justice for Billy, but <laughs> I mean he's forty something year old now, so <laughs> I think he has a porn stash still. I think I saw a video of him. No, he does, he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little um, more filled out than when he was sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> him and his mullet on the witness stand. Yes. They actually had to swear in his mullet separately. <laughs> You're because so it funny. Was, it was so large. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we see Pamela, she's getting her life sentence in prison with zero possibility of parole. Like, she got hit hard on every charge that she got. Mm -hmm. Um, She's currently been serving for 30 years. She has been trying her hardest to get out. She has petitioned multiple times with the state, with the governor, to get out, writing them letters saying that she's doing better. She actually has two master's degrees, which Megan can talk about further. Mm -hmm. And she also has become, like, a mentor, a role model for other inmates on how to have how to be better from their past her issue she's having is that she can't admit to anything that she has ever done she still claims that she had no involvement in the murder of greg she still thinks she's married to greg and she says that she still loves greg so that is one of the reasons why the governor in the state will not accept her petition to go on parole to eventually get out of prison she's gonna rot in in prison basically Mm -hmm. yeah there has been some drama since she was in prison in october of 96, she was severely beaten by two inmates, Mona, Mona Graves, uh, forgive me, Miss Miller, um, <laughs> Jihania Miller. They beat her to the side of the face with a plastic plate so hard that like inserted into her face. <laughs> and apparently it's because she snitched on them about being in a relationship. And yep. so then the Graves and Miller were convicted of second degree assault and then put in different prisons. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if they didn't do that, then they wouldn't have been put in separate prisons (laughs) and then this was a huge thing in 2003 there were photos that were published of her in the national Enquirer of sexually posing scantily clad clothes and so she filed a complaint against the prison and was put in solitary confinement for two months for filing a complaint which i feel like is fucked up (laughs) i feel you should have a right to file a complaint and so she sued because it was a prison guard who had raped her taken the photos and then sold them to the National Enquirer. And oh my God. I know. And so another inmate, Carolyn Warmus, sued alongside Smart, saying the same thing, minus the photos being sold to the National Enquirer, happened to her. And they both kind of got compensation and, and that was it. So she's she's had a little bit of a rough go of it, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> she's having a rough time. It makes me think like this probably happens to inmates, female inmates, especially all the time, but we don't know about it because they're not famous, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it was now nowadays there would be like a whole campaign and everything but it was very like just settled monetarily and stuff like that Mm -hmm. okay so next we see the boys in their sentencing so they did plead guilty to everything they worked with the prosecution against pam so they can have a lighter sentence billy and patrick both got the same sentencing they each got life in prison with opportunity for parole after 40 years each of them only served 25 years good behavior they owned up to everything they did 
did, and they basically got out in 25 years. Billy now lives with a woman that he married in prison. Her name's Kelly, and they both live in Maine. They live on, like, over three acres of land. And yeah, Billy's Flynn is on, I'm pretty sure he got out, but he's on lifetime parole. So if he does anything wrong, he's just gonna go right back to prison. But mm-hmm. Billy and Patrick both only served 25 years for the murder of Greg Smart. And here's Pam still in prison. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also his wife, Kelly Flynn, has a teenage daughter. And the daughter's like, as long as Billy's living there, I'm not living there. Yep. She like Mom, refuses to be there. Mom, you're weird marrying a murderer. What the fuck's wrong with you? I don't want to be there. Yeah. I don't think I would be either. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand women that choose men over their children. Yep. That's just, I mean, I'm not a mother. I don't know. But the way I was raised, my mama would always do that. <laughs> yes, me too. And she was just trying to call me during this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and then next we see Vance, who was the getaway driver. He also had 18 years to life sentence. He only served 15 and got out. And then Raymond Fowler, who was just the innocent guy sitting in the car thinking he's going to go rob this house. He got 30 years with parole after 15 years, which I thought was insane. And he was released in 2003, but then was sent back to prison in 2004 for violating his parole. Poor Raymond. <laughs> I know. Getting 15 years for sitting in a car. <laughs> Yeah, he literally did nothing. And he's getting all this time. And then he had to go back. (laughs) I know. And I did see a statement where he was saying he doesn't think he can do another, like, another term in prison. So he's, like, pleading to get parole again to, like, redo his life. And I'm like, poor Raymond, he did nothing. <laughs> well, also, like, Raymond, that was the first chance when they released you I know. <laughs> like, boy, you should have really taken that chance. Mm-hmm. So there's one thing that I found that was very interesting. So it's, when I was looking at Pamela Smart, there's PamelaSmart.com, which is helmed by Dr. Eleanor Pam, who <laughs> was her teacher in prison that got her the two master's degrees. She believes that she's innocent and mistreatment of what's happened to her in prison is unjust and she thinks she can just start hashtag free Pamela Smart like... Like it's going to take off. Like it's going to take off like free Britney. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> Pamela Smart ain't no Britney Spears. Yeah. So there's like some, these weird quotes that are like proving, quote, proving her innocence is like semantics. Like one thing she said is like the narrative of Pamela Smart as Billy Flynn's teacher is false. She was never his teacher. She was never a teacher. She certainly wasn't his teacher. I'm like, okay, <laughs> she worked at the school. Yeah. And also Dr. Eleanor hates the narrative of poor Billy Flynn, the virgin. She was like, actually he was very sexually active and experienced <laughs> and he had a girlfriend at the same time he had Pamela Smart and they were having sex too and I'm like <laughs> I wish you could see my face because I'm just like I'm sorry what? does that even matter if he'd had sex before like why is she why does she care this much about Pamela Smart I don't get it I think Pam's big problem was that the public was so morally outraged by the relationship she had that they focused on the sin and not the crime and I think she was punished for the sin and not the crime. I know. I wonder if they were, they were lovers. Like, honestly, like... I know. I'm thinking, it does not matter. He was a child. She was an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and also, my favorite part was that she's like, feel free to email me. And her email is an AOL email. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, bro, you ain't gonna get nothing done with an AOL email. <laughs> She's still back in the 1990s. Yes, clearly. <laughs> That's funny. So, I suggest going to PamelaSmart.com, just reading it over. It's like the ravings of a mad woman obsessed with Pamela Smart. <laughs> it's like so 
weird. <laughs> Poor thing. And she's giving master degrees. How? Like, what? Is she okay? Yeah. When I saw Dr. Ellen, I was like, she has enough education to be called a doctor? Then clearly she should be able to know right from wrong. <laughs> she got some psychological issues. Yeah. Pamela Smart must have cast a spell on her like she did Billy Flynn. Because there's <laughs> no way she is thinking clearly. I cast a spell on you. Mm-hmm. Is that from Hocus Pocus? Yes, it is. Well, I mean, it's not just from Hocus Pocus. It's a good song. Oh. <laughs> Before Hocus Pocus. But. I think that's the only place I've heard it. So, Megan, what are your thoughts on the Pamela Smart case? Tell me all about them. I think it's so interesting and strange, really. Just, like, people totally, like, glossing over her, quote, affair with a 15-year-old and just being like, yeah, whatever. Yep. And, and stuff like that. And also how it really set a precedent for, like, the media circus around cases and yep. the infamy of tabloids following famous inmates. And it's just, like, it's pretty cool and interesting. And also to be in a small town. I mean, I don't live in New Hampshire, but I went to school in New Hampshire. I live close to New Hampshire. <laughs> so it's, like, having something so surreal and intense happen so close when nothing ever happens here. Yes. Like, I think that's my take, too. It's just, like, for all of this to begin here in little old New Hampshire is insane. Where this pioneered the media frenzy for the O.J. Simpson case. And that happened in little old New Hampshire. I think that's the most fascinating part about it. Not only a 22-year-old having an affair with a 15-year-old, but also that it was in a small town. <laughs> yes. Like, stuff actually happens here. Yeah. But then, it's always a small town, though. We found. So I don't know why we're surprised. It's like a small town near us I know. is the crazy part. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. You guys, we hope you are enjoying our podcast that we're putting out. We are working so hard every week to get these put out for you guys every Monday. So we can just hope that you can leave a like, leave a review, and help support us any way you can. But until next week, you guys, this is Sean and Megan signing off. Yeah. Ooh, the, ooh, it's new. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time where, where crime, crime is, is always, always on, on tap. tap. <laughs> 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 <laughs>